Good morning. Happy New Year. Happy 2013 to all of you. Hope you had a great, um, a great Christmas. We decided to do something a little different as a family this Christmas. In addition to exchanging um, gifts, we decided to also exchange uh, the flu bug. So... Nice, warm, loving family, sharing everything with each other. So uh, uh, most of December, the last part of December and the first part of this year, I have spent sleeping. Uh, it's a pretty nasty flu virus, I guess, taking out lots and lots of people. But excited about 2013, want to take advantage of the fact that lots of people make resolutions to think a little bit about um, the weeks that will unfold in front of us. I'm not sure whether you make resolutions or not. Um, some people make a big deal out of this, others not so much. But here's what I know. Annually, hundreds of millions of people globally, and just slightly less than half the people in this country, make some sort of pledge to be different. They take some sort of vow, they resolve that in some way they want to change who they are. Also know um, that uh, the, the resolu- we know the resolutions that people make. We know the resolutions that we made. So in 2013, the top 10 resolutions, starting with number 10, was uh, to spend more time with family. Number nine was to fall in love. The eighth most common resolution was um, to help someone else achieve their dreams. Number seven was to quit smoking. Number six was to learn something new. Number five was to stay fit and healthy. Number four, enjoy life to the fullest. Number three, spend less and save more. Second most frequently made resolution was to get organized, and the number one resolution in this country in 2013 was to lose weight. Forty percent of the resolutions made were, in fact, to lose weight. Uh, So, if you're going to the health club, uh, now is not the time to go. Third thing that we know about uh, resolutions is that most of them don't work. Most people fail, not just to lose weight. Most people fail at whatever it is that they resolve is going to be different. Not everybody. 8% of resolutions work. And lots of them are going to work for a short period of time. Today's January 6th. Maybe yours is still in play. But 92% of the resolutions that we make, we don't keep. Now, in light of that, I'd just like to step back and make a few observations about who we are, the country we live in, given the resolutions that we make, given that hundreds of millions of people make these resolutions and fail, and then we'll make them again the next year. I'd like to just observe a number of things that are true about us. Number one, safe to note that Many people are uh, frustrated or disappointed with certain aspects of their own life. Given that, 
again, hundreds of millions of people make a pledge to change. Well, you don't decide you're going to change if, you ha if you're perfectly happy with where you are. So it's safe to say that lots of people are frustrated with at least certain aspects of their life. Given the resolutions that were made, I think it's safe to note that um, we're a little self-absorbed. I mean, uh, in the 16th century, the Puritans resolved to work harder to please God. In the 18th century, uh, our forefathers resolved to form a great nation. We have essentially resolved to be happier and lose weight. Now, there's more to it than that. The eighth resolution was that we are going to try and help other people achieve their goals. But for the most part, the resolutions that we made were perhaps a little bit on the shallow side. Third thing that, uh, that we could note about all of this is that, that uh, we are, or at least most people, are naive about what is required to change. Uh, given that so many people are going to fail, it would suggest that either we are uh, more broken than we think, or we are relatively weak-willed, we, we don't have a particularly strong resolve, or we underestimate what is required to actually get better. Or, number four, all of the above. And I would argue, all of the above. I would argue that the, the portrait we get of who we are out of Scripture is that while we are highly significant... Because we've been made in the image of God. And while we are greatly loved, because God is great and loving, we are also deeply fallen. We are profoundly broken. Sin is not a surface wound. It runs through the center of who we are. We are broken at the most primary levels. And so... I think we are often naive as to what is required to change. Uh, an, an additional observation, fourth observation we could make, is that we like new starts. There's something attractive about a new calendar, about a new fiscal quarter, about a new academic semester. Sort of hoping against experience, we think, I'm going to leave what's bad behind, and I'm going to be better. Right? I'm, I, I got a fresh start. I got a clean slate. It's a new day. I, I'm going to take advantage of this, of this new opportunity, leave the past behind, and make today, this quarter, this year, better. We like new starts. I, I like new starts. One of my favorite verses comes out of Lamentations chapter 3. God's mercies are new every morning and many mornings. Five mornings out of seven, I am thanking God that I get to leave yesterday behind and move on. Right? That, I get a, that, that my sin, my greed, pride, anger, whatever, I get to leave that behind. It's a new day and God's mercies are new again today. There's a, there's a number of things that we could sort of deduce out of the fact that hundreds of millions of people annually pledge to be somewhat different than they are and fail. 
I want to suggest that one of the things that screams to me about this whole practice is that we need wisdom. We need some heavenly discernment about what matters and about how to get there. About what we should be going after, right? And about how we actually get after it. What should be our focus and how we're going to pull it off. And of the two, by the way, what and how, what matters most. What we go after matters more than how we go after it. We've got to decide that question first. Especially because today we live in a culture of improving means to increasingly shallower ends. We are getting ever more efficient at getting where we're going, but where we're going is not where we should be headed. So we're, we're, <laughs> we're good at the, the tricks and the tools and the techniques and the tactics to try and get somewhere, to get there faster, to do it more efficiently. What we desperately need is some insight as to what we should be going after. So, just to catch up, I'm saying that uh, here there's a, a few things that we know for sure. We know that lots of people want to change. We know that change is hard and most people fail. And we know that the most significant thing about this whole change is not actually pulling it about. It's first of all figuring out what kind of changes we should be making, where we should be headed. And I am suggesting that that points out the need for wisdom. Which immediately leads to two questions. What exactly is wisdom and how do we get it? Well, <clears throat> the book of Proverbs is a book about wisdom. It's sort of the, the, the book that's in the exact center of your Bible. It was written 3,000 years ago, mostly by Solomon. And the, the topic of wisdom is sort of front and center. The first uh, nine chapters are um, a sort of back and forth in which wisdom and folly are holding court. Both wisdom and anti-wisdom, folly, are, are given a voice. They're personified. They have a woman's voice. And they talk to us and they banter back and forth. And then the last part of the book of Proverbs is made up of 300 pithy little statements and observations and directives about life, most of which were written by Solomon. And if you study the book of Proverbs, and one of the things that's easy about the book of Proverbs is that there's 31 chapters, so if you're just looking for an easy little way to sort of supplement your devotional reading, you can always read a chapter of Proverbs, and whatever day of the month it is, you just read that day, right? And essentially you will just keep repeating your way through the book of Proverbs. If you read the book of Proverbs and study Proverbs and mine it for what it has to say about wisdom, you come away with uh, some remarkably helpful stuff. For starters, we learn uh, a number of things uh, that wisdom is not. We're able to define it by saying wisdom is not simply collecting information, which is 
unfortunate actually because we're really pretty good at that right now. We collect a lot of information. But that's not wisdom. Additionally, wisdom is not even making sense of that information. It's not knowledge. It's not sort of figuring out how all that information goes together. We know people who have a lot of knowledge that we would not call wise. Similarly, wisdom is not intelligence. It's sort of not native smarts. There are people who have a high IQ who we would not call wise. Additionally, wisdom is not being uh, clever. I have, a, uh, I have a fraternity brother who a couple weeks ago was sentenced to 50 years in the state pen. He was clever. Okay? Not quite clever enough, but he was clever. But I don't think even in his prime when he seemed to be... Uh, Everything seemed to be working for him. I don't think you would have ever used the word wise to describe him. You might have thought that he's shrewd and clever. Clever is not wise. Instead, when we look at, at what Solomon says, when we look to what God says about wisdom, we come away with a different understanding. We come away with an understanding that wisdom is um, maybe first and foremost very practical knowledge. It's, it's street smarts, right? It's sort of battle-tested insight into how life actually works. It's, it's, it's proven. It's real. It's earthy. Right? The, the, the Greeks were known for their pursuit of wisdom, but it was very theoretical. It was very, it was very esoteric. It was, if you read, if you read Plato, you're reading about shadows and caves and the, the quest for archetypal forms, and you come away going, what was that all about? You read Proverbs, and you hear, don't loan money to a fool. I mean, it's, you would never confuse Plato and Proverbs. Proverbs, is, it's, wisdom is very Hebrew, not very Greek. It's very battle-tested, real-life uh, street smarts. The second thing that we see about wisdom is that it, it has a moral or a spiritual aspect to it. And this, for starters, it, it, it leads us to be humble and to think of ourselves as being small and to, and to be aware of our own limitations and that we're not going to simply be able to figure this stuff out on our own. One of the refrains in the book of Proverbs is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A third aspect that we get out of the book of Proverbs about wisdom is that it has a long-term horizon. It's not, it's not particularly interested in, in things that, that seem suddenly to be working or that are trendy. Right? It's, it's, it's a little skeptical of all that. 
It's slow to be won over, right? It wants, it's going to go with what's proven. It's looking, for, it's looking for counsel that has survived the test of generations. The fourth thing that we learn about wisdom from the book of Proverbs is that it's uncommon. You don't automatically get it. Lots of people never get it. You don't, you don't have to grow wise. You don't automatically grow wise just because you grow old. There are lots of old or older fools. You have to be paying attention. You have to be reflecting on life. You have to be humble. You have to be changing. You have to be small. Solomon is a great case study on wisdom because although he had great insight into wisdom, at the end of his life, he becomes a fool. Wisdom is uncommon. I have uh, collected definitions of wisdom for about 10 years. Uh, a number of those that I've held on to. Wisdom is the practical application of knowledge. Wisdom is the best results, the best choice with the best results in every situation. Wisdom is that endowment of heart and mind which is needed for right conduct in life. Wisdom is heavenly discernment. Wisdom is this is my favorite. God's truth and character lived in context. Wisdom is God's truth and character lived in context. I don't know about you, but I'd love to be God's truth and character lived in context. I'd love for some heavenly insight. I'd love for some longer-term horizons. I'd love for a more battle-tested approach to life. So, that leads to the second question, which is, well, how do we get this? If that's, if that's what wisdom is, then how do we actually grow wise? Well, I think there's lots of things that we do over the course of our life that will help us grow wise. We, we read lots of things, starting with this book. We ask for wisdom, because James tells us in James 1 that if we lack wisdom, we can ask God. We listen, maybe more than we talk. We, we reflect. Okay, one of the purposes of Sabbath restoration is to reflect on our life, what's working, what isn't. Uh, I, I, I think that uh, we hang out with wise people. I mean, there's, there's a number of things that we can do that will help us grow wise. I want to suggest that if you're looking for one thing to do, if you're looking for one thing that might guide a resolution for 2013, that, that the single best thing that you can do in order to grow wise is to focus on Jesus, the wisest person who ever lived. I don't know that, that, that you thought about Jesus in exactly that way before. I mean, we think of Jesus as being... Savior, we think of Jesus as being Lord, we might think of Jesus as being loving and gracious, might even think about Jesus as God as being all-knowing. But he's not just all-knowing, he's wise. He is the wisest person who ever lived. 
He understands what life is supposed to look like better than anyone else. He is God's character and truth in context. Jesus is the wisest person who ever lived. If you want to know how to be wise, we just keep coming back to Jesus. And you will have a couple immediate opportunities to do that. Jamie already mentioned uh, Alpha. And if, if the idea that Jesus is the wisest person who ever lived, or if you're skeptical of that, or maybe feel, continue to feel like you're a little bit on the outside of the whole Christian thing looking in, then Alpha is a great next step for you, and it starts in two and a half weeks. And, and also, if you've got friends, family, others that are skeptical, that are, that are sort of walked away from the church, never been a part of Alpha is a great place to bring them, invite them, show up with them. The second thing, a more common thing, is we are going to begin next week a study of the Gospel of Luke, an investigation into the life, teaching, uh, the, the ministry, the work, the claims of Jesus Christ. And I want to encourage you to make as much of this study, which will be going on for some time, as possible. And I want to challenge you that, that uh, because I think there's such, such enormously helpful, practical, great stuff in the Gospel of Luke, that if you're not in a small group that is going to be discussing the, the sermons, that you make that part of your resolution. I get that life is crowded and busy and full, and you may not have time to be in a small group. Hey, then life needs to change. Doing the same thing in 2013 that you did in 2012 will not change you. Right? And talking about this, living it out, praying with other people, thinking about it, I, I just want to encourage you to give serious thought to that. As much as you can make of Jesus in 2013, you win. This is Epiphany Sunday. This is the Sunday set aside for the church to recognize that the wise men showed up to visit and pay uh, homage to the baby Jesus. I want to say wise people still seek him. And those wanting to be wise still seek him. So let's make that our pledge in 2013. Pray with me. Lord God Almighty, we thank you for um, the wisdom that comes from your word. We thank you for the wisdom that comes from your word incarnate, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord and our, uh, our example and our teacher. May we learn from him. We recognize there's lots of information out there and lots of places to look for information. Wisdom is uncommon. We want to be wise. We want to be like Jesus. We want to move in that direction. We want to be different this time in 2014 than we are right now in 2013. We don't want to be part of the 92% that uh, make resolutions and fail. We want your help to be part of that 8% that actually see some change. 
Guide us to that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.